Welcome to the Rob Seco Field Ready Podcast with your host, Jim Robinson. Hello, and welcome back to the Rob Seco Field Ready Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Robinson. It's time to take a look back at the 2020 growing season and those factors that influenced this year's crop. We saw a little bit of everything in 2020, and to help us walk through this year, we have Wayne Fithian joining us. Welcome, Wayne. Good morning, Jim. Yeah, well, it's been a while since have you, we've had you back on the show. It's good to have you back now. Yeah, yeah, and it's always uh, always fun to talk about the growing season and what it did to, to the plants that were out there trying to survive the weather that they were confronted with. Absolutely. So could you, first of all, tell us, as a whole, how would you describe 2020? Just just a high-level view initially. Well, you know, most years, I'm not going to start with 2020. I'm going to kind of start, I guess, with a, a historical perspective because most years you have, even though the Rob Seco footprint has gotten pretty large, uh, it usually we have one dominant weather factor that influences the crop kind of across the whole area. And 2020 was different in that depending on where you lived in the Rob Seco footprint, the year was uh, quite different and the major weather events that really influenced the crop were quite different. So I, I call 2020 an interesting year because from an agronomist perspective, there was about everything to watch that could have happened. You know, we had really ultra early planting. We had people that in, in, in the end had to take prevent plant. We had areas that suffered significant drought damage and we had areas that had near perfect rainfall. I mean, you know, never, never too wet, really seldom even on the dry side, what I would call about perfect rainfall. Uh, we had a lot of areas that didn't see much wind damage, but we had areas that, Wow. I mean, wind damage was the, was the story of the growing season. What about insects? I mean, did, did we see a lot of disease or insects this year? Well, you know, Jim, we didn't really see very much disease pressure uh, other than in some of the better rainfall areas where we did have some sudden death syndrome in soybeans. For the most part, we had a pretty low disease pressure year in both corn and soybeans. We didn't see a lot of, uh, Lepidoptera insect pest pressure, so the moths, the black cutworm, the dingy cutworm, the, the corn borer, the western bean. We didn't, we didn't see corn earworm. We just didn't have a lot of pressure from those insects. But corn rootworm had a really good year, and uh, we had significant activity uh, with corn rootworm larvae feeding on roots during early vegetative stages, or I should say early mid-vegetative stages. And, and then we saw quite a bit of beetle pressure uh, as the crop came into the reproductive stages and tasseled. So we had a lot of beetle activity. And, and, you know, even the end of the season was quite varied because we had areas that were were impacted by an early freeze. In some cases, that freeze even came with snow. And we had crops that were killed well ahead of, their, uh, of when they would have been ready for a fall frost. And we had other areas right here in Omaha. Our frost was nearly three weeks late. So we had areas that had to deal with an early freeze in areas that had quite late freezes. Definitely makes for an interesting year, absolutely. So, you know, with that kind of high-level overview, you know, overall, I, I think we started the year with a pretty, you know, about as ideal, other than some geographies up in, in the Dakotas and, and northwest Minnesota, and we kind of had an ideal spring. You know, the 
good soil moisture, you know, good weather for planting. I mean, how early would you say uh, planting got finished, you know, compared to a normal year? Yeah, we really did. We, we got, we got out to a quick start across almost the entire area. We were cool, but we were dry. And, and even the areas that got some rain were just kind of on normal in terms of uh, May precipitation. Late April was fairly dry. So we, we had a really quick start to planting and both the corn and the beans in, in very large areas of uh, our footprint were planted very timely and got in good. And you know, the other thing that we all started out with was uh, was a really full soil profile. So we had a lot of moisture banked in the soil and uh, it, not too much because we could go in and plant, right? We could get our field operations done, but we had a really good profile of soil moisture. And that really helped the crop as the, as the areas that were affected by drought kind of got started and, and that drought set up. Yeah, for sure. But it wasn't necessarily an especially hot or warm April and May. I mean, it, it was a little bit cool, but, you know, it didn't cause any undue stress on recently emerged seedlings. So that, that helped to get the good establishment, you know, from, uh, at least from my point of view. Yeah, I think, you know, we were cool. And in some cases, the continuous cornfields, uh, because there was a lot of residue and, and, the, and we were cold and the soils were staying cool, some of those fields had a slow start and it ended up affecting how, how they did later in the year. Uh, but for the most part, yeah, we, we had a, a really nice, cool, but open planting season. And, you know, even though it was kind of cool, the crop came out of it when we finally got warm in June. We, we really weren't very, by middle of June, we weren't very far off of what we would consider ideal kind of crop stage, crop sizing. And, you know, when you and I did the July 4th uh, podcast, we, we had a lot of head high corn on July 4th, and that's just what you want to have. Yeah. Exactly. It sets up for a really nice year. So, Wayne, what do you think are, are those factors that all of us shared in the Rapsico footprints as we look, you know, from Colorado to Illinois, from North Dakota down through Kansas. What are some things that we did have in common throughout the year? Well, that early planting. So almost everybody got to take advantage of that early planting opportunity. And and we had a near immediate shift from corn to beans. So both crops went in very timely. Everybody had a very challenging spray season for both crops. It was just so often windy and, uh, and when it wasn't windy, it was dead still. So we didn't get the optimal kind of spraying conditions to uh, do a good job with our post applications. And, and uh, that, that made it timeliness on, uh, on post application treatments uh, kind of difficult. Um, we all did kind of get warm in June at the same time. So when we came out of that cool May, we, uh, we, we had a nice warm June and it ended into, it kind of went into the early part of July um, one of the interesting things at the end of the year that we saw, and it was fairly common across the whole area was that, uh, you know, usually full season hybrids, full season soybean varieties, uh, they top the plots, you know, and, and a lot of times there's mm-hmm. a, 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 a kind of a sort by maturity and that didn't necessarily happen this year. It did in some places, but in, in, in many cases, the, also in some cases, I should say not many, the uh, full season hybrids didn't always win it was that kind of set of hybrids right behind them. So for example, if you were in an area that could go from a 112 to 115, 18 day, the 100, 
The 113-14-day hybrids sometimes were the best instead of that 118-day. So we didn't always see the fullest season product win. Yeah. Now, this is kind of where we start to, to break away on those commonalities in the season, but what are, what are some things during the season that only some geographies experience but not other, that others that really differentiated performance across the Rob Seco footprint? Yeah, and, I, you know, the first thing that kind of started to set up was those drought conditions that really kind of followed the I-80 corridor uh, and the I-70 corridor all the way from the Rocky Mountains and, and, and then got more and more intense and kind of extended into Iowa and, and Illinois even. So we we had a big chunk of the center of our footprint that uh, that really happened to fight some significant drought. And, and a lot of places were at 50% of normal growing season precipitation, in some cases a little lower, some a little higher. So just depended on whether or not they were lucky enough to catch a, a little rainstorm. Um, so that was, that was a really important kind of factor that affected a part of the corn of our corn footprint and soybean footprint. Now, if you go north of there, it, that's where we kind of had ideal rainfall. So a lot of parts of Minnesota, not all of Minnesota, some parts in North Dakota and, and uh, Northern South Dakota had, had really nice rainfall. And, and like I said, never got too wet in those parts of the world's too much rain and saturated soils and ponding that, that can often be a yield limiting factor. And they just, they had some big rains, but they didn't stay saturated for long periods of time. And so that kind of stood out as a very different component of, of uh, what was going on in our footprint. And I call that part of the world near perfect because, boy, when the yeah. yields came in, they were really good. And, and then we had that huge wind event. We had some smaller wind events in, in uh, several areas, western Minnesota. Uh, we had uh, northwestern Minnesota, I should say. We had some wind in Nebraska that caused some damage. But, boy, we had a windstorm in Iowa that really, uh, really changed the crop for people, especially the corn crop, not so much the bean crop, but really changed the, the corn crop that they were going to be able to harvest. And in some of those areas, they had not been as affected by the drought. So that crop was looking really nice. And that derecho really did a number on a lot of acres. Yes, it did. And in fact, you showed a, uh, an image to our, our company is, and as we did the year in review company wide, that really illustrates from a satellite image, just the breadth of the damage across Iowa. You, you look at this image yeah. and it's a, you can see right where Des Moines and Ames are and you see a, a swath of lighter colored green that just indicates downed corn. Yeah. All, all the way from, you know, kind of even up in around the Carroll, Iowa era, all the way down to the, and across to the Quad Cities and pretty big north to south, it was a devastating storm. Really dominated the, the experience of 2020 for the farmers in that part of the world. So, Wayne, it, we, we saw a lot of drought in, in a lot of areas, and, and you touched on this a little bit already, but you know, why did the crop die so fast in some of those geographies where August was, was just so dry? I mean, I, I think you've mentioned before that humidity had a lot to do with this. Yeah, you know, we, we were in a drought, and usually in a drought, you you have, a, you know, a, a pretty large toll on water demand for the plants. And this year, we stayed humid enough that water demand 
really kept the plants hanging on. Both corn and soybeans uh, did very well through a good chunk of July and August with very minimal uh, precipitation because the water demand of the atmosphere. So what, what drives water lost from plants is how thirsty the atmosphere is. And, and when we got a lot of humidity, then the atmosphere, the air above the crop isn't that thirsty. So those plants have, don't have to give up as much water as they would if the conditions were lower in humidity. And, and when we saw things really go backwards, right toward the end of August and the early part of September, and a lot of a lot of cornfields turned turned brown pretty fast, uh, and a lot of soybean fields kind of took on that kind of turquoise gray color pretty fast. And what happened was we we lost that humidity, and we had already depleted our our soil profiles so severely that once that humidity went away and that evaporative demand was uh, was increased, those plants just didn't have the uh, have the water resources to be able to handle that. So we did see some premature death. Now, it didn't end up affecting the crop. You, you could tell it happened because if you, you know, broke ears in those fields that, uh, that weren't able to handle that, you know, low humidity continuation of the drought late in the season, you could see a little bit of shrunkenness at the bottom of the kernel, a little bit of chalkiness mm-hmm. in color. But I, I think in most cases that, that really fast sudden death, it, it probably didn't change the yield more than three to 5%. So the crop was almost done when that happened. And, and really that was an mm-hmm. ideal situation for as low a rainfall as we were in for that humidity to keep that crop, you know, continuing to grow. And, that, and that's why we had farmers in, in very low rainfall areas that harvested a much nicer corn crop and soybean crop than they, than they expected to harvest for the amount of, uh, of rain that we got. In fact, in some of the fields I've calculated, you know, 10 and 12 bushels per inch. And, and, you know, that's a goal in an irrigated field is trying to produce 10 bushels per inch. And we had some of these rain fed farms that, uh, that produced as much as 12 bushels per inch of uh, precipitation and, and uh, of course, including water stored in the profile. So it was a pretty amazing uh, year in spite of the drought conditions in the central kind of that I-70, I-80 corridor. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we were very surprised. We've gotten a number of comments from growers about, you know, the beans are a lot better than they expected them to be because you know, rain in August makes grain. So Wayne, you know, if, we, if we could sum up kind of what, what we saw across the growing season this year, you know, what, what are those, you know, five to 10 overall factors that we would use to sum up that really impacted what this year's crop ended up looking like. And then from there, you know, you know, how can we use that to go into 21, but I'll let you uh, sum up those factors in 2020 first. Yeah. Well, so we all got, we, we got our field work done. We got early planting. That, that was a great help other than those few places that uh, where we had 2019 crop in the field and, and way up North where it stayed a little bit too wet, but for the most part, everybody got their field work done. They got their planting in in a good time and that really set the crop up nicely. Uh, we, we, uh, you know, we had an early harvest, and we were able to get a lot of uh, a lot of the beans out of the way really quick, and before the corn was really ready, and then we got right into the corn as it was ready. So I think the early harvest really helped uh, helped uh, you know get as much of that crop into the into the bin, out of the field, and into the bin or to the elevator as possible. We did we did lose a little bit of yield because the soybeans got so dry so quick that you just couldn't keep up mm-hmm. with them, and so we lost a little weight. 
because the soybeans were so dry and, and uh, that was uh, that was a, the disadvantage of that really nice open and early harvest. Uh, you know, in those droughty areas, Jim, I don't think uh, we've really broken the drought. And, you know, we've got some indications that we're starting to get back on a, on a more normal rainfall pattern, but we still have to break this drought. So I think one of the things a lot of our, uh, of our customers are, ta- are thinking about is, uh, you know, gosh, do I need to go to a really drought tolerant hybrid next year? And I think that, you know, it's always good to have drought tolerance. I, I, uh, I think, if, yep. you know, if you, especially if you can get drought tolerance in a hybrid that still does the other things you need, you know, because we, it could rain next year. We could have foliar diseases. So you need to also think about, well, if I'm in a, if I'm in a situation where gray leaf spots often a problem or Northern corn leaf blight, I need to look at that. If I'm in an area where, uh, uh, where if it rains, I can have some ponding. Well, then, yeah, I want drought tolerance, but I also, I also need to have a, a ability to perform in saturated soils, right, or, or uh, poorly drained soils. So when you think about, I think, what would be the best decision on products for next year, you, you, we have had two very different growing seasons kind of back-to-back. You know, early planting this year, late planting a year ago, a lot of rain a year ago. Uh, uh, not so much rain, even, you know, droughty this year. Uh, I think what you look for is those hybrids that did well across both years. Mm-hmm. And so you go back and say, what did I learn in 19? And which products really handled 19 well? And a lot of those products also did pretty pretty well in 20. So I think that gives you a really nice start on, on how you can best prepare yourself for what 21 is going to bring because we don't know what what's going to happen in 21, right? It could, it, we still got to, it, gosh, it could be wet. It could be dry. It could be cool. It could be hot. It, you know, we, we don't know Absolutely. yet. So I think period of year performance hybrids that, uh, you know, have the agronomic characteristics to, to address the needs you have on the farm. And uh, those are the hybrids you want to focus on for 2021. Absolutely. Yeah. So just to kind of summarize overall, you know, 2020 was a very, very interesting year that, that started out fantastic, but then it got interesting throughout the year. But based on what we saw in 2020, you know, we, we may have in some geographies a little less of a soil moisture profile going into 2021, depending on, on what we get over the next six, seven months, but we could end up you know being dry. So, or wet, it just depends on the year. So as you're making your decisions, for 2021, utilize multi-year data to best suit what your needs are and what your anticipated needs may be uh, going into the year. So anything else you want to add, Wayne? No, I think that's a really good summary. So we'll, we'll hope for a less interesting 2021, right? <laughs> and a little <laughs> bit more normal and a little bit more predictable uh, weather events across the whole footprint rather than these uh, wide swings in, in what we experienced. Absolutely. Well, Wayne, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Yeah, thank you, Jim. Always fun. Yeah. So as always, be sure to tune in on the 1st and 15th of every month for new episodes. And until then, stay field ready. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Rob Seco Field Ready Podcast. Join us next time to be field ready.